Good morning. It's me again. I asked Craig if we could, you know, work in a communion and baby dedication so I could just do it all in one service. He said no. Um, but Merry Christmas. I'm glad you all are here. Um, the, uh, if you want to see, we're talking about joy this morning, the joy of Christmas. And if you want to see joy personified in a face, uh, you need to see Gary Hughes today because uh, his grandson, from what I understand, orchestrated a comeback overtime victory for our local Buford Wolves in the state championship football game the other day. So uh, he, um, if you want to see joy and happiness, see Gary Hughes today. But, um, but it's Christmas. You feel it getting closer? Uh, the joy of Christmas. Uh, on a, you're on a first-name basis with the Amazon driver. Does that tell you it's getting a little closer? Uh, you've gone, this is your, uh, I think they've all happened in this weekend, but this is probably your fifth or sixth Christmas party at this point. Uh, you're breaking even on the white elephant gifts. Uh, you've given away that which you got white elephant gift last year, and you've collected others that you can give away next year. And then probably the ultimate uh, mark that you've got, that we're getting closer to Christmas, is you're now on your second uh, rotation of uh, Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, you've, you've watched all of them once, uh, and now you're all on them uh, for the second time. I think I read something the other day, uh, what has 15 settings, four characters, and uh, 12 plot lines, all 256 movie, uh, Hallmark movies, is that what, Christmas movies? But, um, but we're all getting very close, and I mean, uh, let, let's get real with each other for a second. I'm here to talk truth. Christmas is all about the presence, right? Everybody know that? Everybody, everybody on, on board with that? Uh, it's all about, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's stuff about family. Uh, there's stuff about the kids. Stuff about being the goodwill toward men. All that, you know. Let's be real. It's about the presence. And as I think about Christmas, I think about happy memories. I, I go back to one particular Christmas as I was growing up. And one of the presents I had asked for that was truly going to bring me joy was a brand new pair of Air Jordan sneakers. I mean, this was, this was back in Jordan's heyday. This was when he was either at his peak or reaching his peak. In fact, this was so many years ago that the shoes that I asked for are now back in the retro styles. So, I mean, we've, we, we've gone and we've come back. And so I've been tempted to buy them again, uh, but... Because they are long since gone. Uh, but, you know, I don't remember all that I'd asked for, but I remember these particular shoes. Uh, and uh, as, as we got closer and closer to Christmas, uh, more and more gifts began popping up around the tree. And so one particular day, I was looking at the tree and noticed a box, a wrapped box that was the perfect size of a shoebox. Now, all the other boxes that appeared before now were all about the size of a sweater box or a, or a dress shirt box or a pair of pants because that's what mom liked to get, me and my brother. Um, but this one was shoebox size. Um, and that particular, and, well, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know if, it, if it's because we both had something that we had asked for that particular year or whatever. But we had snookered mom and dad into letting us open one gift from them on Christmas Eve night. 
And so mom finally gave in. Okay, you can open one. You know, we, I guess we had convinced her, hey, we will sleep better. You can do what you need to do. We'll go to sleep. If you just let us open this one gift, we'll, we'll be good. Okay, you know, that whole, I promise. And so, uh, so mom was going to let us do it. And so we finally get to Christmas Eve night. And we're, we've done our traditional things. My aunt and uncle have come over. My grandmother has come over. We've gone to the Christmas Eve um, candlelight service that my church held every year. Uh, and, and so we've, we have finally finished dinner. We finally cleaned up. I, I never could understand the fact why we always went to my this particular year we were at my house, but years previous, we always went to my grandmother's house who didn't have a dishwasher. So we had to wait for all the dishes to be clean. It's like, Gram- Granny, why can't you just use paper plates uh, and paper cups? Uh, but so we got to this point. It was time to open this one present that mom and dad had given me. It was in front of me. I began ripping open the paper, and there it was, the jump man symbol, that Michael Jordan Getting air. Did y'all like that? So, that's as close as I get to dunking. We won't talk about the broken arm story. But, but I mean, this, this was it. I mean, th- these, these were the shoes, and there was the box that was in front of me. And I didn't have sugar plums dancing in my head. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have any of the stuff. Of, you know, I'm sure Jesus was there somewhere. But I had these visions of where I was going to wear these Air Jordan sneakers. Uh, you know, I was going to be the coolest kid in school. In fact, a couple of days after Christmas, uh, our youth group always went to the youth evangelism conference held in Macon. And so I was picturing, I'm going to walk up to the bus and all the kids in the youth group are going to go, what cool shoes you got, Dave? Or I was going to walk through the Macon Coliseum and go, whoa, cool shoes, thanks. Hey, nice shoes, thanks. So here it was, here was this moment. And so I opened up the box and I take one of the shoes out, I put it on my right foot, and it's, yes, perfect, exactly how I thought it would be. So then I grab the other one, and I attempt to put, put it on my foot, and I go, wait a minute, something's up. Something's not right. In fact, something's a little too right. T... W-O, right. I have two right shoes. This is, this is not good. Where is the magic of Christmas and why do I not have a right and a left shoe? In fact, I probably even tried to put on the right shoe on my left foot, but I knew it wasn't going to work. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging. We, we had a natural solution. We went to the mall the day after Christmas and waited for that person to bring back the left shoe. Because somebody was out there with two left shoes. Um, my brother reminded me in between services that uh, the person that bought the other shoes was actually in Birmingham. Like they had, they lived in Birmingham, were in Atlanta for the day and bought the shoes there. Because they were hard to get, uh, the, you know, there was not the Amazon and the internet shopping at that point. It was like you had to go to the store and actually uh, buy it. But... Uh, so there I was. I didn't have, I had two right feet. We won't talk about my dancing or anything like that. But today, we're talking about an incredible gift. And it's not a gift like those Air Jordan sneakers that I thought would, would bring me the most joy that I'd ever seen. I can't even tell you where those things are now. 
But today we're looking at an incredible gift that was given to us that was described as good news of great joy. A gift that was the best God could give to His people. It was a gift without blemish that would absolutely save the world. But before we dive into that, to the message, uh, we really need to look at what, the, what true joy is. Before we look at what this true joy that the, that the shepherds were able to experience, we must define what joy is. See, we live in a world, we live in a culture that is constantly trying to seek joy and they're just not finding it. So what exactly is joy? What is the difference between joy and happiness? The great preacher D.L. Moody put it like this, happiness is caused by things that happen around me and circumstances will mar it. But joy flows right through the trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart, a secret spring in the world that the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. The Lord gives His people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to Him. And another writer says this, Joy is that deep, settled confidence that God is in control in every area of my life. I like that. A deep, settled confidence that God is in control. See, that takes joy from an emotion and a feeling to an attitude, to a posture, a position, and a place. So come with me as we go to a place where God's perfect rescue plan comes together with God's perfect timing 2,000 years ago to find the true joy of Christmas. So if you open your Bibles uh, with me today to Luke chapter 2, uh, we're going to start in verse 20, uh, we're going to start in verse 1 and go to verse 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and when all the and all went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child. And while they were there the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of God shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will be a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, 
they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you that your word is uh, ingrained in us and, and speaks to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you speak to us now. Uh, speak to our hearts as we uh, look at this wonderful story of good news and great joy. Father, be with the words of my mouth. May they glorify you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, our outline today is a little more simple. Uh, if you look on the back, uh, I've put really just kind of put three uh, points uh, to serve as kind of hooks to, to propel our story along. And the first of those hooks uh, is the setting. Because I think we need to understand why Luke wrote this book in the first place. Uh, I want us to understand, uh, because when we see that setting, all this kind of, uh, of what he says and how he says it, uh, makes a little more sense. And so, uh, to look at that, let's look back at Luke uh, chapter 1, the very first verse, verse 1 through 4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke's gospel opens up very, stating very clearly why he wrote this book, why he felt the desire to write down everything that he had seen uh, and everything that he had heard. Luke, through careful uh, research, through oral traditions and study, writes down everything he saw and remembered in his time with Jesus. But Luke doesn't do this for his own for himself. Because Luke was there. Luke knows. Luke spent three years with Jesus in his ministry. And so he got to know Jesus uh, very uh, personal. Uh, his, his, his relationship was very personal. Luke writes this for Theophilus. Luke writes it uh, for him. And the reason that he writes it is he's, it's through the telling of this story that he wants Theophilus to truly have a rock-solid certainty as to what went on in the life of Jesus. He wanted him to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that all these things that are written about Jesus are true. The, the stuff that he's about to write out, it, it, it's all true. He knows that it's true through talking to different eyewitnesses, through seeing it himself, he knows that all of this is true. And he wants Theophilus to have that rock-solid faith that everything truly did go on. Now, this is the only time in Luke's gospel that we get first person. This is the only time that he says we, and this is the only time that he says us. The rest of the time, he steps back and just tells the story. But it's in this first paragraph that Luke really wants Theophilus and us to understand his reason for writing it. Because he wants us to know that it's true. 
And so as I look at it, put myself in that situation, if I was Luke, it would kind of be like this. If, if Luke had Theophilus in front of him, it would be when I, like when I talk to my girls and I need them to really understand something. I get down on their level. I go, hey, girls, look right here. Eye to eye. Look at me. Here's what's going to happen. Luke is doing that to Theophilus. He's like, look, I need you to hear this. I need you to know that this stuff is true. And we get the benefit of that. Luke is wanting us to know what happened in the story of this man we call Jesus, who is the Savior of the world, so that we can have a rock-solid faith in his work that happened here on earth. Now, Luke sets the stage for the great event of Jesus' birth. Because after this, he spends the rest of the chapter telling about the things that happened before the birth. And they're things that are very important because they help fulfill prophecy. They help set the stage. They help know that the event was huge that was coming up. And so he tells about the birth of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was sent to be a messenger. He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. But we also get the very important encounter of the angel with Mary to tell her of, the coming, of what's coming inside of her. Of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of her to bring about the Savior of the world. Chapter 1 is filled with prophecy and beautiful songs that all lead to the night that they had all been waiting for. This night was the culmination of thousands of years of prophecy, thousands of years of waiting. The time had finally come. It was time for the Savior of the world to be born in Bethlehem. But first, how'd they end up in Bethlehem? How'd they get there? What was their reason for going to Bethlehem? Because Joseph wasn't from Bethlehem. He was from Nazareth. So how did they end up in Bethlehem? Well, it tells us. It was a census that was being taken. Everyone, they wanted everyone to be counted. And the way that they did that is you went back to where your family was from. And so Joseph and his engaged, his fiancée, Mary, who was with child, went to Bethlehem so that they could be counted. And what Luke does, this isn't just a telling of the story. Luke is setting the historical precedence for this. He's letting you know that, hey, this really happened because we have other forms of history that tell us this is what happened. And so he's giving us the setting. And as long as chapter 1 is, and everything that has led up to this point, the narrative of Jesus and his birth is relatively short. In fact, within the first seven verses, we've already witnessed the event. And they were there. The time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. It was all right there. But I think there's something in the simplicity. There's something that uh, in this, in the beauty of this simplicity, 
As you read uh, verse 7, there is a peace and a joy that I think can be found in this event, in this account. Can't you just picture that scene? It's a quiet night. And whether they're in a stable or whether they're in a cave, where, you know, it was a place where animals were kept in the dark of night in this picturesque scene. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. They were on the edge of town where animals were kept in the quiet of the night. But isn't Jesus' entrance into this world similar to how he lived his life here on earth? I mean, here he was. Here's the creator of the world. The one that was there when all of these animals that are looking at him are now... He was there when they were created. The one who deserved all the pomp and circumstance fit for a new king was lying in a lowly manger wrapped in clothes in the still of the night. But God wasn't done. There's no way that that His one and only Son was going to come into this world and no one would know about it. Which brings us to our second point. The proclamation. Look at verses 8 and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of, and the, glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So here we have some shepherds, just out minding their own business, doing their job, and all of a sudden, here's this man, as bright as the sun, standing in front of them. Followed by, I think, the understatement of the year, where Luke says, and they were filled with great fear. Uh, Duh. (laughs) Wouldn't you be? I mean, here you are in the dark of night. Now, let's understand the perspective here. There is no ambient light around. There are no street lights. There are no uh, stoplights. There's no stadium lights that are showing, that are creating this glow on the horizon. This is darker than dark. This is millions of stars at night dark. And here this guy is brighter than the sun in front of them. Of course they were scared. Think about it. But the angel knew what he was doing. Because what are his first words? Fear not. Now, the expositor's commentary states that this scene has far more theological meaning than anybody really wants, uh, can imagine or realize. Uh, to truly understand what this means, we have to understand what position uh, shepherds held in this culture, what position the shepherds held in this society. Shepherds were dirty. They dealt with animals all day, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They were untrustworthy. They were the lowest people of this society. They were social outcasts. But then they were also religious outcasts. Because of what they dealt with with the sheep, they couldn't even go to the temple. They couldn't participate in religious practices because they were deemed unclean. They could not even be a part of the church. But here again, 
Isn't this how God works? He does not send his messenger to the political leaders of the day, does he? He doesn't send his messenger with the best news ever to the religious leaders of the day. He doesn't send them to the cultural leaders of the day. He goes directly to the outcasts of the day. He goes to the least of these. He sends this all-important message of the greatest announcement the world has ever seen or heard to the people that could not even go to church and go to service. What does that tell you about God's message? If you can't figure it out, look at what the angel says uh, in these, to these very special messengers. Look at verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I emphasize it, but did you catch it? I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This news is not just for the religious guys. It's not for the clean guys or the wealthy guys. The angel is saying, I'm bringing you some incredible news of great joy that is for every single person. This message that you are about to hear is for every man, every woman, and every child, religious and non-religious, every rich and every poor, all people. That's who this message is for. Can you just imagine the scene? I mean, they're out there minding their own business, and all of a sudden this guy shows up fully, like, bright as the sun, and starts talking to them. Fear not, I bring you a message of good news and great joy for all people. And I can just picture the shepherds are going... Okay, what is it? Just hanging on every breath. And then he finally gets to tell, they, the, the, messenger, the angel finally says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So remember why Luke is writing this. He's writing to help us know that our faith is, so, is true. So the details are very important here. Very important to help us understand what's going on. Which means the first word that the angel says is very important. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He has been born to you. He has not been born to Mary. He's been born to Joseph physically, yes. But this Savior has been born to you. As the expositor's commentary states, this is a bold proclamation of the gospel at the very hour of Jesus' birth. This is not a prophecy. This is not, a, this is not an announcement that happens two days later. Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been born. Luke, through the words of the angel, is letting us know that today is the day for the fulfillment of the prophetic expectation of the Messiah's coming. All that has been written and told about the Savior is coming, coming to save His people has come to fruition today, this very hour. He is here, and God wants the lowliest of people of the society to know it 
first. And the Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary puts it this way, every word here contains the transporting intelligence from heaven. For whom provided? To you. To the shepherds, to Israel, mankind. Who is provided? A Savior. What is He? Christ the Lord. How introduced to the world? He is born. As the prophet said, unto us a child is born. The Word was made flesh. When? This day. Where? In the city of David. In the predicted line, at the predicted spot, where prophecy bade us look for Him and fate accordingly expected Him. The angel goes on to say, goes on to say, okay, here's what you're looking for. You've got the announcement, a Savior has been born in the city of David today. Now here's what to look for. The angel gives the what, has given the what, now he's given the where. And he goes on to describe exactly what they will see when they go look for this very important child. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes was nothing, was nothing unusual, but a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a feed trough? Now that's a sign you look for. This is a sign to you that you need to look for when you head into town. Now, let's look at the last part of the announcement, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was, a, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In the last part of the announcement, we reach the climax of this very important proclamation. It's as if God is putting his signature on the announcement. Because all of a sudden, an actual angelic choir shows up. Because before now, it was just the one angel. Now, a whole heavenly host has showed up, and they're like, oh my goodness. And it's God declaring that he's, they are praising God, saying, you are God of the heavens, you are God of the earth and peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the exclamation point on the grandest announcement that has ever been made. Then suddenly, everyone is gone. They all ascend back up into heaven. And the shepherds are just left there standing. Here again, put yourself in the shepherd's shoes or sandals. Here you have this grand announcement with angels and a choir of angels and then all of a sudden they're gone. I'd be like, what just happened? Did we just dream that? We all can't dream the same dream, can we? And I think the temptation would be very strong for them to just sit back on the ground and go, but that didn't happen, did it? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. Because the shepherds didn't just sit back and wait. 
another announcement, or maybe the angel will show up again. Maybe if we don't do anything, maybe he'll come back and we'll get to see it again. No, they said, hey, let's go. Let's go find this baby that God's told us about. And so that's part of what your third point in the outline is the response. It's what happens next. After hearing directly from God, as the shepherds did, our next step is always the most important. When you hear from God, when you hear directly from God, your next step, your next step is always the most important part of the process. Because it's our response. I love what verse 16 says. They went with haste. Like I picture them running back to town. Like they didn't go, well, hopefully we'll find it. I don't know if we'll find it or not, but maybe we'll find it. Oh, is it over there? No. Hey, you hear any babies? All right, everybody get quiet. I think I hear it over there. No. They went with haste. I, I, I picture them kind of running through town, running all about, and finally they find it. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. This thing that God had promised was finally here. And they went and saw it. And after they found everything just as the angel had said, and they went back to the pasture, and they went back to the pasture and and just lived their own lives, didn't they? Absolutely not. They became the first evangelists of the Christian era. They told everyone they they told everyone they came in contact with what they had seen and what they had heard. And people were in awe of what they were being told. They're like, really? Amazing. This was the first of many encounters that uh, Jesus' story has on people who are there in awe. Where they're in absolute wonder of what's going on. In fact, just a few weeks later in the temple, Simeon creates another one of these. Pictures of just being in complete awe of what Jesus is saying and what Jesus does. Then again, and here again, we have this beautiful picture of Mary, who Luke has framed in this, this as a moment of reflection as she takes it all in and treasures it in her heart. Like any new mother, this, this is the moment she has been waiting for. For nine months, this baby has been growing inside of her. For nine months, she's been wondering what this baby will look like, what this baby will sound like, what this baby will be like. But she also knows for nine months, she's been carrying the Son of God inside of her. She's been carrying the God-man for the last nine months. And now the world knows. The secret is out. Even if that secret is only known by a few lowly shepherds. So Mary has taken this time. She's reflecting on it. Treasuring these moments as any new mother would. I think it gives the human side of Mary, it gives the fact of... Any of you mothers out there, that first time you hold your baby, just taking it all in. 
And then we close out our scripture. Verse 20 gives us our second worship service of the night. But this time it's not the angels of God that are worshiping. It's the shepherds. It's our messengers. Because everything was exactly as it had been told to them. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean to you? What does all this mean about joy? Maybe your first encounter with Jesus was not the result of an encounter with angels. But I'm certain of the fact it was a result of the Holy Spirit. And that's the same Holy Spirit that was with John the Baptist when he flipped in his mother's belly when he heard when Mary showed up. So it's the same Holy Spirit that was with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's the Holy Spirit that was with Mary to create Jesus. It is this Holy Spirit that gives us the type of joy that so many people in our world are seeking. John Piper wrote that a great mark of this joy is that it magnifies the Lord. The proclamation and message of the angel in the pasture is the same message that is available for you. It is a message of good news and great joy. I do wonder, as as Mary's in that, reflecting on the events that have happened, in that moment of, of peace and joy, does her mind drift forward? Does her mind think about this, what this baby's going to be like in the future? What's it going to be like for this baby in the end as this baby grows up? Because this is just the beginning of the story. This tiny baby lying in her arms, grows up, and 33 years later becomes the unblemished sacrifice for our sins. Do you want, as the D.L. Moody quote at the beginning of the sermon stated, an unceasing fountain of joy bubbling up in the heart? Come and see. Come and see who is Christ the Lord. Brings us to our sermon in a sentence today. The events of Luke 2 help us see that true joy does not lie in our emotions or feelings, but in the assurance that Christ came down to live in this world to be the unblemished sacrifice for our sins once and for all. My mom understood this type of assurance. And another Christmas memory that I have uh, of her and my family uh, happened just a few years back. In fact, as it turns out, it was the last Christmas we had with mom before uh, she passed away in March. And mom's wish this year, this particular year, was that all of us would get together and we would do like this, one of these family photo sessions. You know, she loved to have pictures of the family. If you ever walk in our house, there are pictures everywhere. In fact, my my dad would often complain, it's like, we can't put any more pictures up because we don't have any more wall space to put anything up. And then she wanted to be a little bit extra special because for years, uh, we had always gone to this Santa brunch uh, that an organization she was part of had, and, and we had the same Santa, Santa's helpers, uh, that uh, every single year. And so she thought, uh, you know, we were not able to go to that brunch this particular year, and so we were going to... We invited him to come and be a part of the session, and uh, 
was, it was going to be a great day. I hate taking pictures. Uh, I, I don't want to smile for the 6,000th time uh, of the same setting and all that stuff. But this is what mom wanted, and so we were going to do it. And so we had it all planned out. We had Santa was coming. We had the location picked out. We had the photographer. We were all ready. We knew what we were going to wear. And lo and behold, what happens on this particular Saturday of this particular year, it snows. And what happens in Atlanta when it snows just a centimeter? Nothing happens because nobody can get anywhere. And so we were like, what should we do? Should we, should we go, to, you know, do we need to postpone it? Can we do it some other time? We called Santa and Santa said, well, you know, I'm booked up. Uh, I've got other things going on. And it's like, well, can you still get here? And it's like, of course, I've got a sleigh. So, you know, he's, he's got it taken care of. And so what we did, we ended up, we, we didn't go to our location. We stayed at the house. And it was a wonderful afternoon of us taking pictures uh, and doing all that, you know, just taking those pictures. But as I think about that day, and I think about the pictures, even looking back on the pictures, my mom had true joy that day. You can see it in her eyes. You can see it in her eyes that day. You can see it in the pictures uh, later on. But it's not because of what we were doing. It's not because of some silly uh, photo session that we had with Santa Claus. Because mom knew God was in control. He had taken care of her. The exact point I did it last time. He had taken care of her family. He'd take care of the details. And if you knew my mom at all, that's how she lived her life. She had that deep, settled confidence. God was in control, and that's what brought her joy. He just used this silly photo session one Christmas to bring it out. Won't you choose today to have this assurance in your life? That's my desire. That's my passion is that if you don't have this assurance, that you can have that today. Because God wants you to come and see. Come and see the Christ child. Come and see the Savior. Because he's the only thing that will give you true joy in this life. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for speaking to us. I thank you for using your word to talk to us today. And Father, I pray that you be with the hearts of all the people here. Lord, you know each and every person. You know the hairs on our head. And so I pray you search the hearts of the people in this room that if they don't have this assurance that they will come and see what you have to offer, which is the Savior of the world. Lord, be with this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.